You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. I um I just got stuck back here with chewing gum, and Ryan offered me to uh, to hold it. He was, he's like spit it in my hand, and I'm like I don't feel right spitting it in your hand, and so I decided to swallow it, and then it got stuck, and I said I need water bad. <clears throat> so if this gets uh, bear with me. All right. Um, today we're jumping into a story that is, it's enjoyable, much like the story that we looked at last week with Daniel and the lion's den as we, as we kind of wrapped up that series. This story today, you don't have to be in church to know bits and pieces of this story. Uh, there are certain books of the Bible that have, uh, they got bruises. And if you could open up to this passage of scripture in particular, this book, it, it could be seen, if you could see it, as black and blue. Because when you read the story of Jonah, a lot of people ask this question, what are the odds of that really happening? After all, it's a guy getting swallowed by a fish. And I want you to understand up front, ready? I believe this story is actually true. A few reasons that I believe it. Number one, uh, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings is a historical documentation of key characters and when they served. And they highlight a man that's a prophet named Jonah, son of Amittai. And so he's a real person. And then Jesus builds on this in Matthew 14. This is after the days of Jonah. Jesus makes the statement that the the community, the generation is wondering, I I need signs and, and wonders to see that Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus made a statement. He said this, in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, same way it happened. So will I be in the heart of the earth for a period of three days, meaning his death, burial, and resurrection before he comes back from the dead. And here's the deal. If Jesus makes a prediction like that about predicting his death and then resurrection and pulls it off, I'm following him. And whatever he says is true, I'm, I'm following that aspect of truth. So when it comes to this story, I believe from the bottom of my heart that it's true. And unfortunately, many people that struggle with it, they miss the message of the book. They don't realize how relevant Jonah's story is. So Jonah, he's a prophet of God. But he's a rebel prophet. See, the problem is Jonah is this uh, narrow-minded Jewish prophet that doesn't like anyone that's not a Jew. Specifically in the story, the nation of Nineveh. And God tells Jonah, look, I want you to go to that group. I I know they're tough. I know they've been enemies. But I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them, I'm going to give them another chance. They've chosen some bad decisions. They've they've veered off from me. And, And the reality is, if they don't turn to me, they're going to deal with the consequences. And Jonah doesn't want to tell God, tell him about it. Jonah's like, God, I, I love you, but I don't love them. And I want nothing to do with them. And Jonah does not want them to receive grace because after all, they don't deserve it. Who does? Jonah doesn't want them to be forgiven. After all, who does? But here's what's so great about Jonah's story. His story is our story. We all have something in common. Every person in this room at one time or another has told God in some form or fashion No. We've all turned our back on God. We've all decided to run from God. And many in this room have discovered this, and you'll see it today, that you may be able to run from God, but you can't outrun him. But some of you think, yeah, maybe, but so far it's kind of true of me. Like, Tim, I came to this weekend, a lot of stuff happened, but but I have no plans on making any changes. Like, Like, I'm kind of stuck in my ways on some things, and I really don't have a position or a spot for God life's too crowded. Understand, like when you run from God, like we see in the story today, it doesn't necessarily mean physically running from God. 
Uh, for many of us in this room, we run from God in a general sense. Like perhaps you grew up in a decent family that church was a priority and at a young age you gave your life to Christ, but then you realize, okay, following Jesus is going to cost me a few things. I really don't want to trust him with this and that. Too much of my life's ahead of me. I've got high school ahead of me. I've got college ahead of me. I, I want to be able to date who I want to date. And in a real sense, generally speaking, you kind of told God no. You decided to run in a direction that's the opposite of what he wants. Some in this room, for others, we run from God in a specific area. Like overall, you, you love God and you want to worship God. You want to trust God. But there's one or two areas that you struggle with. And he's asking you to do something. He's impressed upon you the right thing to do, and you, you struggle, so you run. Let's just say it's a money situation. Some in this room, doesn't matter if it's an adult or a student, there are areas in your life where you've, if you ask God, God, will you look at my finances? You know if he looked at your finances and were to speak up, he'd say, yeah, that's not the best way to handle them. But still, it's how you want to do it. Others in the room, maybe it's an issue of reconciliation. I mean, there's one area in life of someone or a couple someones that you need to make some things right, but it's been so bad. You've tried before and it's not going to go anywhere. And so there's an area in life that you've decided to run from God and you're like, I'm not going to seek reconciliation in this matter. Some of you, it's with a relationship, like perhaps dating, like some of the guys, let's say you've fallen head over, in, head over heels in love with this girl because she's beautiful, but she's not yet a growing Christian. And so you've got these prayers with God. God, I really don't want to break it off with her. I, I want to be with her because God, after all, it's easier for her around the corner to become a Christian than it is for her to become pretty. She's already pretty. <laughs> and so in your own mind, you've decided to tell God, no. Others in this room, perhaps it's marriage and you've got struggles and you're only a few years in and you're thinking, maybe we jumped into this marriage way too soon. It's time to jump out. And God's telling you, no, it's time to stay. You've told God, no. Some you need counseling. And that is not a bad thing. I've gone through counseling. Others have gone through counseling. But in your world, counseling is equivalent to saying that you lack progress. You love for things to move forward. But if you were to go seek counseling, it's an admission that you're kind of stuck. And so you've told God, no, maybe it's a career. You make a certain amount of money doing a certain thing. And perhaps it's, it's not on the up and up. Perhaps it's not something you've been called to do. And you'd, you'd like to change. You know God wants you to get out. But the problem is you won't make as much. And so in a, in a real sense with your career, you've told God no. Just understand this. All across the room, your story is not unique. It's just unique to you. And if you think about it, when we tell God no, we all run from God for the same reasons. Here's a few. Some of you think, if I don't run, I'll miss out on something good. Like, I know God has a, a plan. I've got my Bible. I know he's got a will. But the problem is, I'm afraid if I do what he wants me to do, I don't get to do what I want to do, and I'm going to miss out on something good. Others in the room, you say, it's hard for me to trust God. I know he's all-powerful. I know he's creative. I know he's infinite. But it's just hard for me to trust him. After all, Tim, I can't even see him. Some in the room said, I've had difficult experiences with church. This past week, I had a few lunches, and a common theme for the lunches was guys that had struggled with their church experiences growing up. Like they didn't understand what happened on Sundays, and stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, look the part, don't really leave understanding what to do different, and their church experience was a little confusing. Their church experience, maybe dad got kicked out, mom couldn't serve, and for them, church was kind of boring, and they confused church being equivalent to God. 
When the question is asked as you were growing up, do you want to go to heaven? All you could think about is church and you're like, if it's anything like church, not really, right? Some people have confused church with God and no one's ever really pressed in on you and said, look, church and God, the local church and God aren't the same thing. The local church is filled with messed up people that make terrible decisions periodically. But in so doing, when you turn your back on the local church, you said no to God. So you got to understand when it comes to this story, Jonah's story, it's everyone's story. Today, if you will, open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And if you've got a hardback or leatherback uh, Bible, good luck finding it. All right, go to the right, right in the middle and you'll kind of weasel your way around. As you're turning there, I want you to understand, here's my goal for today. Some of you, a vast majority of you, are running either in general or in a few little areas. When we run from God, there are a few common outcomes, and they're going to stand out in this story. These common outcomes will happen to every person in this room eventually that turns your back on God. It happens again and again and again. Your situation is not unique. It's just unique to you. And by the way, during this study, there will be people around you. Ready? They nod in agreement. And they will say, yep. Yep, yep, because it's happened to them. At one time in their life, they ran in general or to some specific areas. So it's not unique. Your situation, it's just unique to you. Um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. He gives us, Jonah gives us in his journal an insight about God. God loves people so much. He's been patient with this group of people. And he wants this group of people to get the chance to trust him. But in order for them to trust him, they've got to find a guy that's going to communicate the message. And God says, I've been patient long enough. Jonah, go tell them I'm going to give them one more chance or there's going to be consequences. Jonah can't stand these people. Verse 3 but Jonah, two difficult words. He got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port city of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, a difficult word to say. That's southern Spain. That's 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh. So Jonah doesn't just say, no, I'll just stay here. No, Jonah basically, without saying it out loud, gives God a big no and decides to go 200. 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. We're about to see the first outcome when you turn your back on God. Verse 3, Jonah bought a ticket and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to, Char to <laughs> Tarshish. I'm, I'm tired of the word already. I, um, here's where I want to go with this. Have you ever noticed when you run from God, you find yourself in the worst place. Okay, common sense. Anybody in this room, if, if you're watching Jonah and you see what he's doing, he's running from God, anybody think you'd speak up and say, hey, the worst place you'd go is in a boat in the middle of the ocean? I'd speak up. That would be like me making a decision to do something stupid. And you're like, Tim, whatever you do right now on this choice, don't go run on Alcoa Highway. Don't go jump out of a plane, Right? When we run from God, we find ourselves in the worst places. Not a boat, Jonah. Stay on land. But we see it all the time. 
People on the outside that watch us, when we decide to say no, when we decide to turn our back and go in an opposite direction, eventually they point it out. And later on, after we've done it, we look at ourselves and we think, how could I have been so stupid? And when I say we find ourselves in the wrong places, don't just think destination or location. Think decisions. Like people close to us, when they see us turn our back on God, they make statements like this. You did what? You're going to marry who? You're dating her? You're going to work where? You started doing that? You bought what? Again and again, from everyone else's perspective, they see us in that. Like, That's the most dangerous decision you could make. You're going to find yourself in the worst place. And you and I get caught up in what we're doing. We get caught up in thinking that we control the situation. Everyone else, it's obvious, but from our point of view, it it seems like it's under control. I say this all the time, but I want you to consider it today. If you're running from God, by all means, please don't make any life-altering decisions. Because when we run, we find ourselves in the worst places. Number two, when we run, we find ourselves with the worst problems. Eventually, when you run, when I say no, life starts to unravel. Some of you are like, yeah, not yet. I've done pretty well. N not overnight. Maybe not in a couple weeks, but eventually things fall apart. By the way, have you ever noticed this? When people finally decide to stop running from God, they're usually dealing with injuries related to running. Ever considered why there's injuries related to running from God? Consequences? Well, think about it. When we run, we turn our back on the source of all wisdom and truth. God is wisdom and truth. And so when we run, we make a decision that is not wise. He's a source of wisdom. It's not insightful because we don't have truth. And therefore, we have the consequences of an unwise, absent of insight. We have a choice that we've made and we deal with the consequences and it's a total mess. The consequences haunt, haunt us. I, let me tell you this, like in a room like this, there are all kinds of people that are former runners. It's one of the most beautiful things about this church. Nobody acts like they got it together because we don't have it together. We're all former runners. And what happens time and time again, because we disconnected from wisdom and truth, when we made a decision to run, we come back to church with baggage. Like marriages have fallen apart. We're in a messy situation financially. Kids don't talk to us. There's problems. There's turmoil. But it all goes back to us turning our back to the source of wisdom and truth. How about this? When we run, we turn our back on the source of unconditional love. Every person in this room is looking for unconditional love, but you'll never find it in another person. Even though that's your dream, even though that's your fantasy, we see it time and time again. Men that decide, okay, I'm going to marry this person. I'll find unconditional love and support from them. But then all of a sudden things don't work out and it's her fault. So they get a divorce. And then he finds someone else, source of unconditional love, marries her. Then it's her fault because it's not working out. And there's a common thread in it. Not, it's not necessarily the hers. It's him looking for unconditional love in someone that was never meant to provide it. When we turn our back on God, we turn our back on the source of unconditional love. And when we turn our back on, on God, when we run, we turn our back on the source of purpose. Like God is a God of purpose, meaning he creates things on purpose and for a purpose. Everyone in this room has a purpose. And when you say no in one or two areas, you say no to his purpose. And you think you're sharp, you're talented, you're witty, 
You can finagle your way. You can manipulate your way to finding a purpose. But I promise you time and time again, you'll come up struggling and you'll deal with the consequences. And unfortunately for many of us, when we run from God, we turn our back on the source of wisdom, truth, unconditional love, and purpose. Let me tell you what happens, unfortunately. We decide to keep running and think, it'll fix at the next phase. High school students, you're going to convince yourself, I'll get it together in college. College students will say, I'll get it together after college. After college, people say, I'll get it together when I get married. I'll get it together when I have kids. And when you finally stop and gather your wits, you realize what's around the corner is pretty much the same thing that's right here. I'm just getting older. You start to see, I don't think what's up there is much different from what's back here. And if you gather your wits, you'll see, okay, birthday after birthday, same thing. Christmas after Christmas, same thing. Summer, here comes summer, same thing. Different school, different school, same thing. Different city, different city, same thing. And you're trying to find purpose apart from God. And you come up empty-handed. You make statements like I make. Well, once I do this, or once we get there, or if this happens, it'll all click. Understand, all of us struggle with wise choices, with finding unconditional love and purpose when we turn our back on God. So we find ourselves in the worst place. We find ourselves with the worst problems. And you ready for this? We find ourselves hurting the worst people. What do you mean? Well, the people we love the most. The people in close proximity to the runners. Think shrapnel. Meaning if you live with someone that's running, if you run with someone that's running, if you hang with someone that's running from God, I'm telling you, and you're in close proximity, you will get hurt. It's just a fact. When their life starts to unravel, yours will too. To the dads in this room that are running, I know you hate to hear this, but the shrapnel of your decisions will impact your wife and kids. I know you can pray, God, please don't let it happen. It's just a principle you cannot push against. And it's not on purpose. You would do anything to keep it from happening, but it's going to happen. And to the students in this room whose parents are speaking into you about certain decisions and, and you think you're smart enough, you think you've got more insight than them, trust me, they've been there and they're afraid that you running too close with people that are far from God or running from God. They know if their life unravels, your life will unravel with it. And it may not happen immediately. Your intentions might be pure, but eventually, over time, your life will unravel too. And I promise you, there are people in this room right now that used to run all the time. They're sitting here thinking, yep, yep, yep. And unfortunately, for far too many, we continue to run. But I want to give you some good news. Our God does not just throw up his hands on Jonah's story or your story because he doesn't care. What we see happen in this story is consistent with the God of the Bible. It's consistent with what God does for the nation of the Jews in the Old Testament. It's consistent with what Jesus does for you and me in the New Testament. Understanding his grace and mercy, even when we run, he will involve himself in the process, just like Daniel 
except different. God's hands, his fingerprints are all over Jonah's story. Ready? Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. Meaning God's at work in the decisions that you make that give you, that lead you to the worst places, give you the worst problems, and cause you to hurt the worst people. Understand, he allows that. Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. Understand that um, you see this as it unfolds in the rest of the story. Let's read together verse 4. But God hurled a powerful wind over the sea. So God sent it. I'm telling you, his fingerprints are all over it. He's actively involved, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, a group of sailors. Think about it. It takes a lot to get a group of seasoned sailors to be afraid. They spend all their life on the water. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Guys, that's the whole point of the sailor's trip. Jonah just hopped on and bought a ticket. This is those sailors' livelihood. I'm telling you, his decision's impacting them. But at this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain of the boat went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. And the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and the terrible and caused the terrible storm. It's not wise to cast lots. I'm not sure how it necessarily works. God works in this situation where the lots fall on Jonah. We don't need to do this. We got the Bible today. But look at verse 7. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. The Bible doesn't say this. But I bet right about now, Jonah's starting to make the connection. Wow. I didn't come out and say, dear God, no. But man, I ended up at the worst place, the worst problems, hurting the worst people, all these guys that are in close proximity to me. And it's all because Jonah detached himself from the source of wisdom, truth, unconditional love, and purpose. Verse 8, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the seas and the land to which I say it's kind of funny because he's admitting the God that's done all this, that's the one I worship. Verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They asked. Sound familiar? You did what? You're dating who? You went where? Verse 11. Since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm for us? And don't you know that right about now, Jonah is realizing what a lot of people in this room already know. And some of us need to know. You may be able to run from God. But you can't outrun him. Because in his wisdom, he'll let you go to the wrong place. He'll let you deal with the wrong problems. He'll let you hurt the wrong people, the people you love the most. Not to pay you back. But to win you back. So Jonah throws up his hands. Verse 12, throw me into the sea. It'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. 
Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. It's wild. These guys have turned to God too. They didn't even know God. And they're like, Jonah, what's that God's name again? We're going to trust him. Verse 14, and don't hold us accountable or responsible for this man's death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Not to pay him back, but to win him back. Then they took Jonah. They threw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm. At at this, the men greatly feared God, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Jonah learned something while he's floating in the middle of the sea right here. God doesn't have to chase you. Often, he just waits for you. You see, in the story, Jonah knew. God wasn't wondering where Jonah was. He knew. God wasn't wondering how this would unfold. God knew. God wasn't wondering what God should do. God knew. Verse 17. And now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you pay close attention to the entire chapter, did you notice that God's hand was all over this? The storm the lots falling on Jonah, the fish, three difficult nights in the belly of a fish, all because Jonah turned his back on the source of wisdom, the source of truth, the source of unconditional love, and the source of purpose. And it's the reason that when he ran, God let him run to the wrong place. And deal with the wrong problems. And hurt the wrong people. The people that loved him the most. God did it. Not to pay Jonah back. But to win him back. As we wrap up today. Often about this time I make a statement. I'm like heads bowed, eyes closed. I need you to bear with me. Everybody put everything down for a second. Ready? Heads up. And eyes open. I need courage. If in general, or maybe in one or two areas specifically in your life, it's going to take courage. There's an area in which you've kind of told God no, or you're ignoring him, or you're running from him. You know it. You feel it. Will you lift your hand? All across the room. Keep him up. Keep him up. Now all across this room. Ready? If there's anyone that at one time or another, in general, like a broad sense, or maybe in some very specific areas, you've run from God. Will you lift your hand up? Heads up and eyes open. Everyone look around. Hands down. Jonah's story is all of our story. You think it's unique. It's not unique. It's just unique to you. And understand, every hand that goes up, whether you used to run or you're right in the middle of running, learn from this. Embrace this. 
We go when we run to the worst places. You did what? We find ourselves with the worst problems, like the consequence of a bad decision where we turned our back on the source of wisdom, truth, purpose, and unconditional love. And we hurt the worst people, the people that we love the most. I've been there. I've found myself at night trying to sleep, but I can't shut my eyes. Consumed by decisions that I made or that I didn't make that God wanted me to make. And I realize these sections of my life are a mess. I might be trying to control the outcomes, but I can't. God may not be chasing me, but he's waiting on me. And he wants to let me live and breathe and bathe in the consequences. Not, and I'm telling you, consequences can be so painful. Not to pay Tim back. But in his unconditional love to win me back. I have a, a letter right here that I want to read to you. Just a portion of it. For some of you today, I'm begging you. You got to get to the point where you're like, I don't want to run anymore. This came this week. Tim, I attended my son's baptism in November of 23. Since then, I've been thinking about me and God. I've watched online services since November. I've been wrestling with issues. When I told my wife about the issues, she said, why? Fair question. I found that in my 76 years, God's opened a lot of doors for me. And God gave us all the gift of choice. We can walk through that door or we can turn and walk away. On April, sorry, February 14th, he wrote April. On February 14th, 2024, at the 11 o'clock service, I decided to stop walking away and I gave my life to God. This is a four-page letter from a former runner. Some of you in this room, you're not going to get to the age of 76. Some of you won't get two more semesters of this. Life's going to just fall in shambles. I want you to understand, you can keep trying. You might get it for a while. But eventually you'll deal with everything that Jonah dealt with. Everything that all of us deal with. Some of you are making promises. Okay, after high school, when I get 20, when I get 30, when I get 40. Some of you are saying, okay, I'll do it God's way, but let me try two more relationships my way. Some of you are making statements. Well, I'll try it on the next marriage. I'll try it after college. I'll try it after my kids leave the house. I'll try it after I get a savings account built up. I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try it. When? Next week, next semester, and over and over you wait, and everything just builds. So at this point, heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to encourage you to not wait anymore. In just a second, the song's going to begin, and some of you have delayed. If you want to say, look, I've got to quit running, either this one area, these two areas, or just life in general, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to get up. If that's you, work your way to the front right of the room. You might think, well, what if I'm the only one? You won't be the only one, I promise. Just as a few minutes ago, there were people that were still in there from earlier that were chatting. I want you to get up and walk to the far right of the room. There are people there that want to talk to you, want to pray with you. 
It may not be at the beginning of the song. It might be the middle. It might be the end. Or might it, even after the song, you finally just, I need to chat. It's time to stop running. Let me tell you a beautiful theme of this story about grace. Grace costs Jesus everything. It's a gift from God to us. And let me tell you what grace did in the story. Grace did in this story what it will do in your story. It gives you the freedom to run. God won't keep you pinned down. But grace will not cancel the consequences affiliated with running. You're still going to deal with them. And I'm begging you, don't go there. And the beautiful thing about grace is grace brings calm when we finally stop running. Look at the story of Jonah. When he stopped running, came to his senses, he was calm. The sailors grew calm. The water grew calm. Jonah's heart grew calm. And God did all this, not to pay him back, but to win him back. Father, do what you want in this moment. We trust you completely. And may this be the last day that many men, women, students, may this be the last day they decide to run. And I pray this in Jesus' name.